This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show where we tell the story behind your favorite Asian dishes. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on a dish or an aspect of Asian cuisine, and we interview experts on the topic. While we've covered some popular Indian dishes, like curry and butter chicken, as well as what an all-star Indian chef eats at home, we've yet to talk about what's typically made in an Indian-American kitchen. And what I mean here is for the generation of American-born Indians who had parents that were part of the first wave of immigration from India to America in the 50s and the 60s. This generation of children have now become adults and are defining the customs of their new world and picking and choosing what parts of their Indian culture to maintain and how to blend it into the dominant American culture. Maybe they've only visited India a handful of times but stay connected to their parents' culture through delicious home-cooked Indian food, Bollywood films, and unique multicultural experiences. But what do they cook at home? 
So to help us learn more about Indian American recipes, culture, and his new cookbook, Bollywood Kitchen, Home-Cooked Indian Meals, paired with unforgettable Bollywood films, is Sri Rao. Welcome to the show, Sri. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so a little bit about Sri before we dig into it. Um, He is a screenwriter based in New York City and a devoted home chef of Indian cuisine. One of the few Americans working in Bollywood, Bollywood being India's version of the movie industry, the name derives from Bombay, the former name for Mumbai, and California's Hollywood, of course. Sri has produced and written a number of films and sold TV projects to major networks. He can be seen on Sling TV, Dish Network, as a social media ambassador for all things entertainment, food, and fashion. And so, Sri, we actually like to begin the show uh, every episode by reviewing the best things we ate in the past week. Um, so I'll go first so you have a moment to think about okay, what you've had. Give me a second. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it's really gotten like frigid and cold here in here in the city as winter approaches. Um, last weekend, um, I basically had one of those days where you like sleep in, um, you try to like work out, and you realize you haven't eaten anything until 3 p.m. <laughs> um, and then I went to House of Small Wonder in Williamsburg, which is a really cute, charming like. Uh, Japanese cafe that almost looks like the inside of a treehouse. Um, and it had just like a really simple like chicken meatballs over rice dish. And oh, there was great. like a perfectly, um, you know, poached egg on top. Um, so that really just hit the spot for me, um, especially as it's like getting colder. What about you, Sri? Well, um, I can think of two dishes that I just had recently, um, in the, actually in the past 24 hours, and I think that you'll give you a good sense of who I am in terms of my um, culinary point of view and also just who I am as a person. So the first dish is um, my mom's keema, and keema is a ground beef curry that is one of the specialties that my mom makes that I grew up eating. It's typically made with um, minced mutton or minced lamb in India, but here in America, um, she started making it with ground beef, and it's just absolutely the best. It's um, so warm and comforting, and it basically is um, ground beef um, sautéed with onions and tomato and um, a bunch of Indian spices, but to a point where it is really dry and crumbly, um, so mm-hmm. it's not like um, like a soupy ground beef. It's actually really dry, and you mix it with rice or with roti, and it's um, one of my mom's favorite, one of my mom's best and my favorites. And then the other um, uh, dish that I had for lunch today actually was the chili turkey, uh, the turkey chili at Panera of all places. <laughs> Did <laughs> and, not expect. And I wanted to mention that because um, I'm all about um, like highbrow and lowbrow. I yes. am really not about being a food snob. I eat mm-hmm. um, sort of all over the place and have had dinner at some of the most amazing restaurants, but at the same time, the turkey chili at Panera is pretty damn good, and on a cold winter afternoon like today was, I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
Okay, awesome. Good to know. I actually have a Panera by work, so I'll definitely be hitting that up next week. <laughs> you should try it. No need to pass judgment on fast casual chains. Sometimes they have good grub. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Street, tell us about yourself and what you do exactly. I mean, it sounds like you wear so many hats. How did you get to where you are now? Yeah, well, I'm a screenwriter and, and probably one of the few screenwriters that's written an actual cookbook. So it is um, a definitely a weird blend of, um, a blend of interests. But I um, am just really passionate about finding ways to introduce my um, Indian culture to my life and my peers here in America and finding ways to um, kind of bridge the two sides of myself as someone whose heritage is from India, whose parents are from India, but who was born and raised here um, in the United States. I was born into like a very blue-collar, working-class town in Pennsylvania, and I've lived mm -hmm. in New York for like the last 20 years. So I'm all about blending those two worlds. And um, so, yeah, so I'm a screenwriter primarily. Um, I've worked in Hollywood and then also in Bollywood, and then I decided to write this book to introduce people to Bollywood movies, um, which I think are just fantastic. And now that musicals are becoming more popular in the United States, I think it's a matter of time. It's, it's, it's about time for people here to discover the fantastic world of Bollywood musicals. Mm -hmm. And then um, in the book, in addition to introducing people to these films, I then pair a menu of home-cooked Indian recipes with each movie so that people can discover what I consider to be authentic Indian food, which is very different from, you know, your chicken tikka masalas and some of the stuff that you might encounter in Indian restaurants. Yeah. What a smart way to um, get people noticing movies and also getting like, you know, entertainment people <laughs> to cook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's dinner and a movie, right? Who doesn't like that idea? Yeah, so where did you learn to cook? Was it um, from your mom? Well, um, you would think that it's from my mom. All of these recipes are based on my mom's recipes, but um, I can speak for my mom and a lot of my aunties, a lot of the other Indian moms out there, and I think this might apply to Asian moms in general, but they are notorious for not being the best teachers when it comes to <laughs> imparting their recipes oh my on God, their children. Like my mom and my aunties, of course, did not write anything down. Like They don't write any recipes down. Um, and then when I would try to get her to give me her her recipes. I mean, she would just get more annoyed with me than anything else. Um, and, uh, and it was sort of like pulling teeth to, to get her to, to give me her recipes. And so I sort of made it my, my personal mission uh, to learn her recipes because I, did, I, I wanted to carry them forward and I, and I didn't want them to end, you know, so I felt an obligation. I, I, can, I still feel an obligation to um, carry forth this legacy. And, and that's why I really got interested in learning how to cook. That's awesome. Um, so one phrase um, in your introduction of the cookbook really stuck out to me. You said food and films are our primary connection to a motherland we never knew. And I thought that was really beautiful and nostalgic. Um, yeah, tell us about how you basically kind of adapted um, you know, Indian cooking for the modern day, like American generation. 
Yeah, well, you know, growing up in this town in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, there were very few other people of color there. There was it was probably 99% white and 99% Christian. And um and in the 80s when I was growing up, it was very difficult to travel to India to travel internationally, so we rarely went there. But the ways that I learned about my culture and my heritage were one way was through the dinner that my mom prepared every night at six o'clock. She would have a wonderful, delicious, uh, home-cooked Indian meal on the table at six o'clock. And that's the way that I learned about the recipes that she grew up with. That's the way that I heard stories about my grandfather's favorite dish or the way that my aunties make this dish differently than the she makes it. And these are all people that I had not ever even really met, mm. but I felt instantly connected to them through this food and through the years of stories that I heard about them. Uh, and simultaneously, then after dinner or, or subsequently after dinner, we would every night watch a Bollywood movie in the VCR. And that is, and I absolutely fell in love with them. And that's how I literally learned the language. That's how I learned Hindi was through watching Bollywood movies and reading the subtitles. And that's how I fell in love with the music and the dancing and a lot of Indian culture. Um, so those are, and I think that that's not just for me. I think that for a lot of second generation um, Indian Americans, kids who were born here, uh, Bollywood movies and Indian food are the ways that we feel connected to India. Of course. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Kima, um, which is featured um, in your book. Um, mm -hmm. What are some other examples that kind of exemplify your Indian-American upbringing and, and what you like to eat? Well, there is, of course, in every Indian family, there is kind of your go-to chicken curry, which is the dish that you would eat at least, you know, once a week. Um, and the thing that's uh, about the thing about authentic chicken curry is that it's not chicken tikka masala. It's not made with a ton of cream or butter the way the chicken tikka masala is made. Um, it's actually made quite simply, and it's a lot more flavorful. Um, but it is, um, you know, the reason that it, that I would consider it to be quintessentially Indian American is because. In, uh, chicken obviously is really accessible here, and as are the spices that we use to make um, homestyle chicken curry. So there are things like garlic and ginger, cumin and coriander, cinnamon and clove, cilantro, turmeric. Again, these are all things that are readily available in regular American supermarkets. And so that is the type of food that I grew up eating because when my mom was cooking um, in the early days, there were no Indian grocery stores or Asian grocery stores in, uh, in our town or in, in most of America. So uh, the recipes were created using ingredients that were more readily accessible. Yeah. Did I see something with like broccoli in there? Yeah, broccoli and asparagus and Brussels sprouts. I love making uh, vegetarian dishes um, it, with in, in Indian style because, you know, as most people know, the Indians are kind of the, the, the masters of vegetarian cooking because mm -hmm. there are hundreds of millions of vegetarians in India. So we've been doing it for a really long time. But the thing that's very exciting for me as an American is to bring those Indian flavors to vegetables that are not indigenous to India. So I love asparagus, for example. Uh, and so I do this really simple um, broiled asparagus or grilled asparagus. You can do it either in the oven or on a, a grill top. And they're spiced with black mustard seeds. And black mustard seeds are a very typical 
spice mm-hmm. used in Indian cooking, particularly when cooking vegetables, and they bring out this really nice savory. They add a nice savory flavor to vegetables, and I use those on my asparagus, for example. So it's a nice blend of of east and east and west. Yeah, it's like a nice, simple touch that makes it like authentically Indian still. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what's your treatment of desserts? Because you know Americans love desserts. Yeah, I definitely have a sweet tooth. And the problem with Indian food, though, is that um, the desserts typically with Indian cuisine are an acquired taste. And most people um, who are not born in India, even if they love Indian food, typically don't really care for the desserts because they tend to be very sweet and uh, a bit of a one-note um, kind of a thing. So I've tried to take Indian flavors and meld them into desserts that would be more um, palatable to my taste buds and to other Western taste buds. So, for example, I do a chocolate chai affogato, which is absolutely delightful, and it's spicy chai mm. with um, cocoa mixed into it, poured warm over cold vanilla ice cream. And I also do a mango cheesecake, which is um, was kind of the go-to dessert when I was growing up, and my parents and their friends would have Saturday night dinner parties. There would always be, for dessert, there would be the dessert that the parents would eat, which was typically like gulab jamun or something very quintessentially Indian, but for the kids, there would be something that we would enjoy more, and more often than not, it was a mango cheesecake or a mango pie, which, um, you know, it takes the, the, you know, the great aspects of American cheesecake and then adds uh, Indian flavors to it with mango, which is the national fruit of India. Mm, yum, getting hungry over here. <laughs> yeah, we could totally go for dessert right now. Um Yeah. So also like, tell me how you broke out this book. And, um, I know you, you know, took a real, you know, uh, painstakingly strategic, um, method to picking out your Bollywood movies. How did you pair your recipes with the movies? Well, it was um, definitely a tedious process, I have to say, because I love Bollywood movies and I wanted to pick the best of the best for people to sample. And I wanted to make sure that we cut across genres. So there are a lot of different films um, that are, you know, all different types of films, not just typical romances, but also horror movies and action movies and kids movies and comedies and dramas. And I wanted to make sure that all of the movies were easy to view online so you can stream them on Netflix mm-hmm. or iTunes with Very subtitles. And then I had a lot of fun with pairing the meal um, with each film in finding some sort of creative connection between the food and the movie. So sometimes it was a literal connection and sometimes it was um, more more creative and more figurative. So for mm. example, there's a movie in the book called The Lunchbox, which is this beautiful little indie drama about uh, a romantic, an unexpected romantic relationship between a housewife who delivers um, lunch to her husband in the um, in, in the Indian system of uh, Indian lunch delivery system, which are these um, tiffin carriers, these these dubbas or uh, mm, yeah, containers where um, people deliver um, lunch mm-hmm. to their family members at the office, and they are delivered to them through these delivery men that travel the streets and trains of Bombay and deliver 
food. Um, but in this particular case, the um, food gets misdelivered from the housewife to a lonely widower, and it starts up a, re- a relationship between the two of them. So for the meal paired with that film, I, pa- I created a sort of typical... Um, midday meal, which involves an egg curry, a savory cream of wheat dish called upma, and a vibrant mixed vegetable curry. And you can serve the whole thing in an actual um, lunchbox, in an, in an Indian tiffin carrier, which is a stainless steel mm-hmm. tower. That is a really cool, fun way to serve the dish. That's really cute. Um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly love this concept. And <laughs> I kind of want you to like take over a Nighthawk or Alamo Draft House and make this happen. Like, yeah, show yeah, totally. the movie. I'm actually talking to Alamo Draft House in the oh, very pr- preliminary okay, stages of it right now. So, <laughs> if anyone from Alamo or any of those places is listening, it is certainly something that we should do. Yeah, we're on board over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to take a really quick break um, and we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org pets. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West, and on the phone with me is Sri Rao. Um, so I think you kind of go through a lot of um, misconceptions of Indian food in your book. Mm. Like you talk about how um, it's really not like eating out in an Indian restaurant. Um, tikka masala, that's like a cliche. And it's not even really Indian. That's the other thing about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Especially that, that it was one. invented in the United Kingdom by a chef who poured tomato soup over Indian chicken curry. Yeah, to make it more like palatable for you know those guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also mentioned that you know there's beef recipes, so that's okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, when I was growing up, um, we ate beef, and um, my mom doesn't eat it, but she would cook it and serve it to me and my sister and my dad. And that was often, I found, often the case with a lot of kids who were born here who uh, were raised in Indian families. There's this misconception that um, Indians don't eat beef, and that's true in India. Mm-hmm. But in the United States, if you do eat, if you're Indian and you do eat meat, which is a big sort of fork in the road, right? there Mm -hmm. because a lot of Indians are vegetarian. But for those of us who are not vegetarian, like myself, um, chances are we also eat hamburgers and steaks and we eat beef um, because it's just a lot more 
uh, it was always a lot more readily available here than lamb or mutton, which is what is typically eaten in India. Yeah, that makes sense. How could you pass up a burger, um, especially as a child? (laughs) All of those birthday parties, basically. Absolutely. And so for that, that's one example, one big example of how Indian restaurant food is different um, from Indian home food here in America, which is that you will rarely find beef on a menu in an Indian restaurant because it's not... Um, eaten in India, and most of the chefs and restaurateurs who have opened restaurants in the United States, the majority of them were born in India. Um, And so they're recreating the food that they grew up eating, and they probably didn't grow up eating beef. And I think that that's something that you're going to now start to see change Mm -hmm. as more folks my age um, start coming up in the food world and start opening restaurants or writing cookbooks that better reflect the food that we grew up eating here in the United States. Yeah, that's super cool. Like right now, right this second, we're at that inflection point. Yes, it's very exciting. It's um, it, Since we've only been here as an immigrant group for about 40 years or 50 years, primarily, um, we're just now getting to the point where Chinese immigrants might have been 100 years ago, for example. So it's a really interesting point for Indian American food. Yeah, like one thing I'm noticing with Chinese food, um, in New York City at least, finally, is that we're starting to see very specialized dishes from different provinces of China, that there is finally recognition Mm -hmm. um, that it's not all a big, you know, mixture of like Citron and Northern and like, you know, Southern all on one menu. It's all quite distinct. And so that kind of gives me hope for the future (laughs) that we're going on the right path. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because we're seeing a similar thing happen with Indian food, but I think it's actually, we might actually do the opposite. And so that's interesting. I I want to tell you what I mean by that, which is that you're seeing now more Indian restaurants that are regional because primarily um, for the last 40 years, it's been North Indian food that you have found in Indian restaurants in America. But now you're seeing definitely a lot more South Indian restaurants pop Mm -hmm. up. You're also seeing restaurants pop up that are specific to um, an individual state or region like Goa or Bengali food or, you know, there's a lot of uh, regional specialties coming up, which is very exciting. So people can start to discover other regions of Indian cuisine other than just North Indian Punjabi food. But at the same time, I feel like there's something else that's happening with Indian cuisine, which is that in our families, we're breaking down a lot of those boundaries that were very distinct for our parents' generation. So, for example, my parents are South Indian, and typically in a South Indian home, you would only eat South Indian food, which is like dosa. Mm-hmm. and Italy's and, um, and a lot of vegetarian food. But after moving to America, uh, those boundaries um, started to break down because there, first of all, weren't enough South Indian um, families here originally. Like in my community, all of my parents' friends were from different areas of India. So my mom made food from all different regions mm. of India, and that's what I grew up with. And now that I'm starting my own family and other uh, Indian American kids have grown up and are starting their own families. Again, we're finding that those regional barriers are breaking down because it's very rare that you find someone who was born here 
who is marrying someone from their exact same region in right. India. So instead, you're finding like a, a Punjabi will marry a Gujarati, or a North Indian will marry a South Indian, or an Indian American will marry a non-Indian American entirely. So um, the regional boundaries that, in terms of cuisine that were really important to our parents are not going to be as important to us going forward. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So kind of like a fusion of the regional aspects of Indian cuisine. Do you think that is how you would define like Indian American food going forward? Do you feel like yes. there's going to be some like and traits I, yeah, there? Yeah, and I think the thing that's really exciting about that is what we're doing is that we're picking and choosing the dishes that work best for an American kitchen and for our modern lifestyle. So, for example, I think everyone, most Indian Americans in their homes, second generation, make uh, dishes like chana masala and rajma, which are kidney beans and chickpeas. Um, And they're typically or traditionally they're Punjabi, North Indian dishes. But it doesn't matter where in India your parents or your grandparents hail from. In Indian American households, those dishes are very popular because chickpeas and kidney beans are so ubiquitous here in American grocery stores, and these are great dishes from India that use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then similarly, there's a dish from South India called dosa, which is a rice lentil crepe, and you're finding that a lot of folks here in the United States are picking up that dish, regardless of where they're from in India, because crepes are so versatile, and especially for people that have kids, you know, they're making these dosas and stuffing them with scrambled eggs in the morning, or putting um, lunch meats into them in the afternoon, and so we're modernizing them and making them relatable to the American family. Yeah, that really makes sense. Kind of like a sourcing thing, like what works. Um, Yeah, this is all really great. Um, What's next for you, Sri? Um, Are you going to come out with another cookbook, or are you, like, focusing on your (laughs) entertainment projects? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's just, I just finished, or I'm in the middle of my um, tour for this book, so I just did 10 cities uh, a week ago. I just finished that, taking a little break for the holidays, and then in January, I'm going to go to more cities, Philadelphia, Boston, D.C., Toronto are um, ones that I'm going to try to hit in the winter. And um, and then beyond that, um, I'm continuing to do food videos for Sling TV so people can um, learn how to make Indian food in their homes, which is much easier than people um, expect it to be. And, and that's, um, you know, one of the missions that I really want to, one of the messages that I really want to try to get out there, that Indian food is, is fun and easy and healthy, um, and we should try to take the intimidation factor out of it. Yeah, I love that. Um, have there been any, like, interesting um, insights or feedback that you're getting from your readers on your tour? Yeah, well, one of the interesting things um, since I was out on the road is seeing how many non-Indian American folks are interested in Indian food. I mean, uh, when I was on tour, I would say that 90% of the people that showed up at my book signings or at my classes or at my events were not of Indian heritage. and um, But they were all really um, passionate about Indian food and wanting to learn how to make it, and also about Bollywood, which I I thought was so surprising because I thought the only people who would be interested in the Bollywood side of it were other Indian Americans like me who grew up with it. But there are a lot of closet Bollywood fans out there who (laughs) are super passionate about it and want to um, learn more about it and want to know what movies they should be watching on Netflix, for example. And so they've been really uh, devouring the book, too. Yeah, I'm sure they really appreciate your curated list. 
Um, okay, so for those who are new um, to Bollywood, uh, what are some like fun facts or a kind of like 101 tips you could share? Mm, okay. So, well, the first thing um, to make clear is that the actors are not singing. And that is something that I think takes a lot of people by surprise because here in America, all of our musicals, whether they're Broadway or on film, the actors are all doing their own songs. But in India, um, they're not singing. They're just lip syncing, the actors. And uh, the people who are singing the songs are what are called playback singers. And they're professional singers who record all of the songs for movies. And then um, the actors portray them on screen. And I guess the reason for that is because with 1,500 musicals produced every year, there aren't enough actors who can act and sing and dance. There aren't Mm -hmm. enough triple threats out there. So they decided to take one piece of the puzzle away and just require the actors to be able to act and dance and leave the singing up to someone else. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a strategic, smart decision. Yeah, and um, and then the other thing is that it, they are all musicals. Ninety-eight percent, at least, of Indian um, Bollywood films mm. are musicals. So, and that again is regardless of genre. So, it could be a horror movie, but yet they will find a way to sneak <laughs> in three or four songs yes. in the middle of the movie, which is which is really cool and different from what we're used to when we think of musicals here in America. Okay, well, that sounds like really great entertainment for a meal like a proper dinner and movie experience. Absolutely. Well, that just about wraps up our show today. Thank you so much for joining us three and sharing all your knowledge. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So for our listeners who want to, you know, get to know you and keep um, up to speed with all your news, how should they stay connected? Uh, Well, I'd love for them to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My handle is at New York 3, which is all spelled out, N-E-W-Y-O-R-K-S-R-I. And, um, and my website is newyork3.com, where I'll have my upcoming tour dates on there as well. So I'd love to see them around the country. Awesome. And that's our last episode of the season. We'll be programming a great show for you listeners over break, and we'll be updating our website with content so you don't miss us too much. Um, check in with us on feastmeetswest.com and our Instagram handle is at feastmeetswesteats. Our Facebook page, Feast Meets West. And we'll be back next year, 2018, with more awesome conversations from the world of Asian food. Happy holidays, everyone, and happy eating. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please 
Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.